Everybody say this after me. I thank you, Father, that your word has the power to change my life. Today I give heed to it. I allow it to go into my ears and into my mind and then into my spirit. I am a hearer of the word and a doer of the word and I'll never be the same after today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the things here at Living Word that we believe and that I believe is that there is a greatness inside every single human being. And if nobody's ever told you this, that there is greatness in you, you see, you are created by God. And God is great. And so God doesn't do anything less than the very essence of who he is. And so God puts greatness on the inside of each and every one of us because he's great. And he created you in his image and in his likeness. You know, and I know that when we go to church, we're supposed to hear about how God's great. And he is. But we as human beings are also great. And you see, God's not concerned about how great you are. In fact, he wants you to achieve your greatness. He knows that you're great. But your greatness is not in competition with God's greatness. And that's not even an issue because you're great, but you're not that great. And in fact, when you achieve or step into your greatness, you actually reflect God best. Because you are reflecting the wonder and the beauty of who he is. But see, here's the dilemma. We have this absolute conviction that there is greatness inside of each and every one of us. But we've got to deal with the reality that very few of us actually realize our greatness. See, very few of us actually step into our greatness on behalf of God. And so, so why is it that if there is greatness inside of you and inside of me, why is it that so many of us feel like we're living painfully ordinary lives? And so today, I just want to take a few moments and really focus in on what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God on his behalf and for his kingdom. And see, sometimes when you study the scriptures, we can pull out, you know, a particular passage or a moment in time and learn from that moment. Because, you know, we're better from learning at the, from the trees than we are the forest. And I'll unpack that for you. But sometimes it's, it's good to step back and look at the overarching scripture and the life lessons that are in the scripture. And if we do, we will realize that there is a forest there as well to learn from. You see, we get glimpses of greatness, but rarely do we ever zoom back and look at the context that created greatness in people. And so to realize that there are principles in the lives of people like Daniel and David and Esther and Ruth and Joshua and, and Joseph, and to, realize, to really step back and realize that God takes ordinary human beings and does extraordinary things in their lives and with their lives. And he pulls out a greatness that's in them that would have been lost without him. And so, it, wouldn't it be in a tragedy if at the end of, the, of our lives, 
we could actually go back and look back at what God had actually placed on the inside of us. You know, if we had a moment where we could go into the future and look back at us right where we're at and see our own potential and what God placed on the inside of us and the possibilities that are just waiting for us. And, and if we would just step into them. And so I wanna take a minute this morning and I wanna talk about Joseph's four steps of greatness and what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God. And I started thinking about the different genres and the different fields where greatness occurs. And so I, 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 so I ended up at basketball. You know, and, and to be honest, with my vertical challenges, I am not, I've not played a lot of basketball. But I ran across some, some footage and some information and was watching some video. And it looks like, based upon what I'm seeing, it's widely agreed on that if you're looking at the most dominant basketball player that is alive today and is playing today, arguably, people have to admit that it, it is arguably LeBron James. And now he's a Laker, and the Lakers are doing very well right now. But you've got to ask yourself the question, are the Lakers great? Or is simply that LeBron is great wearing a Laker jersey? Was Cleveland great when he played for Cleveland? Or was LeBron great when he played for Cleveland? Was, was Miami great? Or was LeBron great when he played for them? And you see, when a person carries a level of greatness on the inside, a lot of times you're not real sure. But, but the thing that you can, three things. They were not great before he got there. They were great while he was there. And then they were no longer great when he left. And so there are some signs where you can kind of tell. And for instance, right now, he's been out for the last couple of weeks with an injury. And the Lakers have begun to lose. Because he wasn't there, arguably. And so you can identify greatness because somehow everybody around you becomes great while you're there. And so I'm kind of thinking, so if LeBron is the most dominant player in the NBA, and uh, last year, uh, so in game seven against the Celtics, when they should have lost, he, he just willed them to win his eighth, uh, to get into the eighth final in a row that, for his teams. And in that game, he played all 48 mean, minutes. Now, that may not seem like much, but it's actually a physical phenomenon to be able to play 48 minutes in an NBA basketball game. And so, in some ways, he's just, he's this freak of nature. But normally, listen, he averages about 37.9, about 38 minutes a game that he is on the court. And so, I think this, what's odd is that out of 48 minutes, there's about 10 minutes that he's on the bench, and so he's on the court about 38 minutes, somewhere around in there. And in those 38 minutes, listen to this. You know how much time he actually has the ball in his hands? He only has the ball in his hands six minutes out of a game on average. So that means that six minutes out of 48 minutes, he has the ball in his hands. How in the world can you dominate a game when you don't even have the ball most of the time? And by the way, the, the year before, when they actually won the championship, um, the two years where he didn't win the championship, he averaged 
Um, that's six minutes a game, somewhere around in there. But, but the year before, the two years before, when he did win the championship, he only averaged five minutes per game. So he actually had the ball less when he achieved a higher level of greatness. How do, you, how do we explain this? What, what's going on here? You see, what happens is that when we, see, you and I, we identify greatness by the moments of greatness. But we don't actually see the context of greatness, the forest. See, we see LeBron in those five or six minutes that he has the ball. But what actually makes him great is not what he does in those five or six minutes of greatness. It's actually what he does in the other 40-some minutes when the ball is not in his hands. And everybody else is elevated to a level of greatness that is not possible without him, even though he's not touching the ball. See, that's the kind of life, that's the kind of greatness that I want to, to manifest through God's spirit. Have you, have you ever had a moment of greatness? Just, just a moment where it's like you knew you were great. I mean, it's like, you know, you couldn't say it out loud, but you thought to yourself, man, I'm awesome. That was awesome. Well, some of you do say it out loud, and that's kind of the prior of the problem. But have you ever felt that moment? where you walk away and you just think, I nailed it, I'm awesome. Have you ever had a moment where you're really, really wise, somebody asked you for advice and you, you actually had some and it, and it was good <laughs> and you gave them advice and it worked and you were like, you just, you were so wise in that moment. You were like a sage, you were like Yoda to this person. But then the next person you try to give somebody advice, you blow it. You have no idea what you're talking about. It makes no sense whatsoever. And so we can't actually sustain it. We just go back to the regular us. Have you ever had that moment where you're awesome at work? You're an amazing employee or an amazing employer. And you have those five minutes where you got the ball and you were awesome. But see, the truth is, is that those five minutes are not actually where your greatness is. You see, what we really need to identify is not necessarily what those five minutes where we're great, but what took us to that place of five minutes of greatness. See, what was happening in the background and the other 40 minutes where we didn't have the bottom? What were we doing in context? The Traumans are sitting here today and they have an amazing testimony of their son and the healing that's taking place on the inside of him. I'll tell you, when those healings took place, that was not the moment of greatness. The moment of greatness was the years and years and years that they fed themselves the word of God. And they spoke the word of God and they hid it in their heart. That when they had the ball, they didn't choke. This is what I'm talking about. Greatness. See, what do we have in our hands that we can be faithful with that will prepare us for those few moments that we have the ball in the future. Have you ever had an opportunity that was right in front of you, but you knew that you weren't prepared for it? It was laid in your lap, and but maybe you self-sabotaged or you fumbled or maybe a dream that you've had all of your life and you just wanted something so bad in that moment and that moment when it came, you just weren't ready to step into it. You were afraid. And you see, there are some moments of greatness that are waiting for you right now in your future. But to be honest, we've got to be really honest with ourselves that maybe 
we're not ready for it. And there may have been some decisions that we should have made five years ago or 10 years ago that would have prepared us for this moment. And what I, want, what I want us to do right now is I want us to make this moment this morning that point where 10 years from now we can look back on this moment and know that that day I decided to do what it took to be great. That's the moment where I decided to prepare for this moment right now and this opportunity. And an amazing example of this is the story of Joseph. And I want to look at that real quick. Can we put that up? So Joseph, and we're going to look at the end of his life, looking back at all of his opportunities. And so Joseph is at the end of his life. And the thing about Joseph was that he was one of many brothers. And he had these dreams that came from God. And he shared his dreams with his brothers and his parents. And it, it, to be honest, it didn't go real well. Because see, in this dream, it had his brothers and his parents bowing down to him. And so he went and shared his dreams with his family and it sent him on an incredible life of pain. And so the very, his very brothers resented and despised him and in fact tried to kill him and sold him into slavery. They were the very ones that he would later save because of that dream. Because you see, God positioned him with the power to save an entire people, including his family. And, but so at the end of his life, Genesis is a very curious and interesting book because the first half of Genesis is the story of all of mankind from creation all the way through to Joseph. And then the second half of Genesis is all about this man's life. I mean, how do you do that? God's gonna tell the story about all of creation and then just this one man. He must have been an amazing, a great man. And we get a lot of lessons from his life. We're gonna unpack that this morning. Let's take a look. So then at the end of Joseph's life, at the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24, it says, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land and to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the next scripture, is that all? So then the next scripture is, and then Joseph, Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath that said, God would surely come to your aid and then you will carry my bones up from this place. And so Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. So you see the symbolism of him being placed in a coffin in Egypt is that Joseph, who was a Hebrew, was buried at the highest level of honor and dignity in the Egyptian empire. Now, Egypt was the strongest empire on the planet. And so Joseph ended up, he started out as a shepherd and then he ended up a slave. And then somehow at the end of his life, he ends up at this pinnacle of power and greatness. So he begins as a slave to Egypt and he ends his life as the most powerful and influential individual in, on the planet and in the empire, second only to Pharaoh. How does, how does a life like that actually happen? 
Is that possible for you and I? How do we step into our greatness? What does it take to actually be great in the face of adversity and unfairness? So it takes, first of all, this is our first point, a sense of personal destiny. You know, I can't explain it, but sometimes it feels, and it feels a little bit irrational sometimes, but every person who achieves something great, when you watch interviews with them, they actually believe, they always believe that they were going to accomplish something great. Sometimes they don't know what it is, they just know that it's going to be something. And so there has to be a sense of destiny that, and we have to have that same sense of destiny that you and I are created to do something absolutely amazing. And it drives us and sometimes it haunts us because we know it's there and and we're concerned that we may never step into it. And so it drives us and we have a sense of personal destiny. Now, when you enter into um, Christianity and the journey of Christianity, the word destiny is, is changed to calling. And you see in the scripture that God calls you out to a very specific and uh, an intentional purpose. And he calls you into a destiny. It's not something you're destined for, listen, but it's something that you are destined to create. You see, there's a big difference. You see, destiny doesn't already exist just waiting out there for you in the future. See, your destiny is waiting for you to create it. But as we read the scripture, we find out that there's actually just one calling. Jesus said, come and follow me. And that's it. And if you respond to that calling of following Christ and following Jesus, you will step into your intention and into your calling as long as you pursue that. And so you have to believe that you've been called, that we've been created to do something amazing and great on behalf of God, a personal sense of destiny on the inside of us. Because just like Joseph, you see, he had this dream. I mean, can you imagine, anybody here have brothers and sisters? Can you imagine what it would be like to go to your brothers and sisters and say, I had a dream. I think it was God. And in this dream, you were all bowing down to me. How would that have gone in your family? Oh, and by the way, mom and dad, you guys can bow as well. And it's okay because I'm great and I am awesome. That would have not gone well for me. It would have not gone well for you. And it didn't go very well. They didn't all go, oh, wow, we know you're awesome. So let's just go ahead and bow down now and get it over with. And and so they despised him and they hated him because of it. And they wanted to kill him, but they didn't want to feel guilty. So they threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And so what happens when you have a sense of personal destiny is that you have a sense of belief. You see, it gives you the sense and a strength to overcome failure in your life because you know you have a future to create. You see, Joseph was sold into slavery at 17 and he was sold into slavery and he remained a slave until he was 30 years old. And so for the next 13 years of his life, there was absolutely no tangible evidence in in his life that these dreams would come true. And it would have been so easy to give up on that dream and move into despair and stop believing 
on God and, and to give up on his faith in God. But when you have a deep sense that God has given you a dream, it gives you the strength and the determination to see through all the hardships in life through to success. But secondly, and this is the second point, it not only takes that sense of personal destiny, but it also, you also have a sense of a self-motivated drive, of self-motivation. You see, people that achieve personal greatness they tend to not need other people to keep inspiring them and motivating them and driving them forward you know it's not it's not that we don't need encouragement we all need encouragement it's not that we don't need inspiration we all need inspiration but your motivators have to be internal and not external so what i find so often is that people are so quick to blame other people for their failures because of this they're so quick to blame other people for their lack of destiny. It's someone else's fault that I didn't achieve my greatness. It's somebody else's fault that I never had the opportunities. It's somebody else's fault that they didn't see the talent and the greatness inside of me. But I want us to realize that what it takes to be great is an eternal drive that other people can inspire, that they can inspire you and encourage you and, and affirm you, but it's not what they say to you that matters. It's what this inner voice, the Holy Spirit, the destiny on the inside of you is saying to you. And so you've got to get up in the morning and you've got to decide to get up. You've got to decide to be better. You've got to decide to work harder. We have to decide to overcome the circumstances that are around us. We have to decide to grow up. We have to decide to be courageous in everything that we do. And if we spend our lives bl blaming other people for us never stepping into our greatness, then we do not understand where greatness actually comes from. That's why I think it's so interesting that when they talk to great athletes or successful people or businessmen or, and they ask you, were you motivated by what they said about you or what they wrote about you or, or were you motivated by your successes of the past or they, just, they usually are like, I don't need those to motivate me. I don't need somebody else to motivate me. If I depend on somebody else to say something to motivate me, I'm already lost. When you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, how much more should you be motivated by that internal voice that's on the inside of you? And so there are some of us here that we keep waiting for motive, external motivation. But the reality is that God can create opportunity, but you and I have to bring the determination to actually execute those dreams. Just like Joseph did. And to be great on, on God's behalf. And so Joseph's a slave. And he, uh, so he gets found by this guy named Potiphar. Who is a very wealthy Egyptian. And he becomes Potiphar's servant. And it's a pretty good deal for a slave. Because he puts him over. He sees the sharpness on the inside of him. And he puts him over everything in him, his household. He rules the household second only to Potiphar sound familiar I'm kind of telling the story backwards a little bit and so Potiphar um, one day Potiphar's gone and his wife sees Joseph and tries to seduce him and so he's evidently really good looking and doesn't have a propensity for 
dumplings. <laughs> He's got his six pack. And so she comes in and she sees him and puts some berry white on and tries to seduce him. You know, it would have been so easy for Joseph to say, you know what, God's taken everything from me. So why don't I just give up? It would have been so easy for him to say, you know what, I've spent my whole life as a slave. And so why don't I just enjoy this one moment of pleasure? I've earned that. And the reality is that if we're not careful, we will sacrifice our greatness on the altar of self-gratification. And so she becomes angry and embittered. And she tells her husband that Joseph has tried to rape her. And by the way, side note, be careful of embittered people. Because embittered people want to make sure that they destroy everybody's happiness around them. You see, when people are embittered, they can't stand somebody else's happiness or success to exist. So don't surround yourself by that. And so she was embittered by Joseph, and she, she should have commended him for his uh, self-discipline and, and loyalty to her, her husband. But instead, she lied to her husband. And, uh, and so Joseph doesn't choose a moment of pleasure. He doesn't trade his future for his, for his present. And so let me ask you a question. What choices might we be making right now that might be costing us our future? And so I, I hear people blame God. You never gave me the future that that you gave me, that you put in front of me. You never gave me, the, the dreams never came to a reality in my life. And the truth is that there were small choices in their life that destroyed the context for them to be great. The future that they always wanted for them, for their family, for their friends. You see, your discipline is your structure for success. And so the third thing, that Joseph teaches us is to be self-disciplined. See, Joseph exemplifies this in an amazing way. And you know what? I think that a lot of times people think that success happens easily. But here's the thing. I find that most people think that lazy is normal, that lack of discipline is normal. And I don't know if people understand that greatness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen without discipline that we will never achieve what we long to achieve if we don't make the hard decisions and the sacrifices in the short-term pleasures and conveniences and, and comforts even may not be sin, but there, there is something in our life that we have to care about more than easy. You see, Joseph had a dream that was bigger than any of the temptations that he was tempted with. Do you have a dream in your life it would make it a little bit easier because you, you're so focused on what God has placed on the inside of you that you could lay down temptations. Do you know, in, do you have a no in your life that would protect the yeses that God has given you? So the fourth thing that we have to understand is that our dreams and our greatness is never about us. They're for others. God is always wanting to use us in the lives of other people. And sometimes this seems counterintuitive because it's my dream. It's for me. I, we're talking about how I can be great. Joseph was great. 
And so sometimes it seems maybe a little bit, how would you say it, um, it, that it wouldn't be natural for us to think that way. And so Joseph gets thrown into um, Potiphar's, or into jail because of Potiphar's wife. And he's in jail for years and years and years. And he had to look through the bars and wonder if God had given up on him. He had to. Had God, but you know what? He never gave up on his dream that God gave him. And through a series of events, he actually ends up at Pharaoh's right hand. See, he interpreted a dream that Pharaoh had that meant that there would be seven years of plenty and then there would be seven years of famine. And so at the end of his life, he finds himself, we're gonna look at that scripture again in just a second, that he finds himself in a very interesting place. At the right hand of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the Egyptian empire. And so his family comes during this famine and the family finally comes to Egypt because they're gonna die in this famine for lack of food. And when they come and they're desperate, Joseph is waiting for them. It's so beautiful that they rejected his dream, but they were desperate for him and his dream in their disaster. And his dream is what actually saved his family that tried to kill him. You see, when God gives you a dream, you can't live in bitterness toward everybody who doesn't believe in your dream. Because you understand that your dream is not for you. It, see, it was always for others and maybe the people that actually never believed in your dream. And Joseph never lets the dream die. And listen to what he says. Let's go back to that scripture. He says to his brothers, I'm about to die. Uh, it was on that other one. Hang on just a second. But God would surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land that he promises, that he promised as an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, he's speaking life into them. He's saying that my life is ending, my story is ending, but your story is just beginning because I followed the dream. You wanted to end me at 17, but I am actually the beginning of my family's future. You see, you didn't want me to have a future, but I am giving you a future. You know that dream that you despised? I'm now giving it back to you. It's your dream now. So what does it take to be great? It takes a depth of character that says that my dreams are not for me. They're for others. You see, those six minutes of greatness that LeBron has, you see, that's not, that's just six minutes that he's holding the ball. But his greatness is not really defined by when he holds the ball. That's what we see. But really, his greatness is defined by what happens to every other player on his team who would look just average if he wasn't there. You see, there's a greatness inside each and every one of us. But you know what? That greatness is not for us. It's for others. You see, when you're immature, you think your dreams are supposed to be about you. 
When I'm immature, I think my life is supposed to be about myself. And when I'm immature, I think that my, my art is all about self-expression. When we're immature, everything's about us and what we can have. And our energy is about us and our money is about us and what we can have. And, but there has to be a point in our lives where we, we realize that the dream was never for us. It was entrusted to us. You see, my life is not for me. My life is for others. It's for you. You see, our greatness is a stewardship. It's inside of us. But it's not so that we can feel great. There's greatness inside of each and every one of us. But it is a stewardship. There is a greatness inside of us. But it's not so that other people can admire me. It's, it's not so that we can be famous or for our glory. There's greatness inside of us because people need what's inside of each and every one of us. You see, what's inside of us is God's gift to the world through us. And by the way, that's the amazing truth that Jesus teaches us. You see, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he didn't need to walk the earth for himself. He had nothing to prove. He didn't need to take on flesh and blood to show that he was all that. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for us. And as an example, you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't need to do that. He didn't need that. God didn't need that. God did not need that glory. He is glorified. Jesus died on that cross for us. When he rose from the dead, he didn't need that. He was already alive. He didn't need to die and raise again. That was for you and I. That was for us. And so the greatness that Jesus came to live out was not for us. It was not for him. It was for, for us. He stepped out of human history for one minute or stepped into human ministry for one, one minute and when you think about him dying 2,000 years ago and that having an impact on our lives today, you see, the best athlete only, may only hold the ball for six minutes, but God holds eternity in his hand forever. And in, in 33 years of ministry and three days of raising from the dead, Jesus stepped into human history and allowed himself to be crucified and rose from the dead. And his greatness in that moment unleashes our greatness. And that is the wonder of who Jesus is. That there is greatness inside each and every one of us. And we will never come to know it unless we come to cross that line of faith and learn to trust him with our lives. Would you stand with me? you're here today and you're not a believer and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, today is your day. God is drawing people into the kingdom of God right now. He loves you and he has a plan and a destiny for your life. And God's destiny in your life is different than the world's plan for your life. Now, because of sin, all of us were separated from God. 
But Jesus came and paid the price for your sin with his death on the cross so that you could be free to serve him, free to fulfill your destiny with him and free to spend eternity with him. And what we need to do, what you need to do today is make a decision to follow him today in order to fill that destiny. And you can do that right there where you're standing. In just a minute, I'm, we're, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, signifying that you would like to pray a prayer with me right now, where you are, repenting for your sins and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life today. Starting today and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and to empower you to be the Christian that the Bible promises you that you can be. Your life can be so much different if God is at the center of your life and the Holy Spirit lives big on the inside of you. So if everybody closes your eyes, and please bow your head. Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ before. Or maybe you used to follow and serve God and, you, and you've fallen away from God. And if you were to fall into eternity today, you're not really sure what would happen. Something has come between you and God. And today is your day. Today is your day to make a decision to follow Christ. You can pray this, you can pray this prayer with me right there where you are. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed... Those of you that want to pray this prayer with me, I just want you to raise your hand real high right now, right where you're standing. I see that hand right on, man. Who else? Don't leave here without Jesus. Your destiny awaits you. Your calling awaits you. Amen. You guys can look up. We have a, we've got a new brother in Christ this morning. Very, very, very proud of you. So we're going to pray a prayer with you right there where you're at. And so we want you to pray this prayer with us. We're all going to pray with you together because you're about to become our brother in Christ. And so let's all bow our heads and let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Jesus, I thank you that you willingly came and you paid the price for my sin with your death on the cross so that I could be free to serve you, free to spend eternity with you, and free to fulfill my destiny in you. I repent from my sins. And I say today that Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, come and live on the inside of me and empower me to be the Christian that the Bible promises me that I can be. As I come to church and I get involved in church life, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. 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 Yeah.